Hello, folks, and welcome back to Culture Dumps. This is episode 70-something. I can't believe we've made it this far. Um, I am not with Parks today. This is Ryan Lichten, uh, obviously. But instead, I'm with Mike Connolly. Hello. Yeah. Now, Mike and I know each other because we worked for years together at the Museum of Death. And also, Mike is the host of, how is it pronounced? Noise Extra, right? Yes, exactly. Noise Extra. We are a podcast focused on noise, experimental, strange sounds of all branches and styles. Yeah. And that podcast was founded by uh, Mike and his wife, Tara, but also Gray Holger of the OG Podcast 99 lineup. Uh, so it's uh, been a long time coming. And... We're talking about a very specific topic that's going to be very long-winded. This is the most complicated outline that I've ever had to write for Culture Dumps. And it's about something that I really, really enjoy. And I think that that helped to make it more difficult. But uh, Mike has a lot of knowledge and insight in this topic. So we're talking about wrestling today. I'm really excited to be talking about this. This is going to be a lot of fun. This particular topic is... Yeah, this is going to be great. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> but you got into wrestling, like, not that long ago. Like, I remember we, we, we were working together, and I was into wrestling, like, loosely, like, Attitude Era, WWF, for those wrestling heads out there. Um, you know, like, late 90s, early 2000s stuff. You had never been into it. But I think we got you so stoked. And what it was was, didn't I show you the Mankind Undertaker? So, so that's exactly what happened, is that it was it was you and another one of our coworkers were deeply into wrestling or, yeah, or documentary or, VHS on Instagram. Absolutely. And yes, you guys said, watch this, the mankind undertaker Helen to sell. Yeah. Because of course, obviously we worked at the museum into extremity, into insane things, into insane videos. You said, you got to watch this, watched it was absolutely just so into it that Everything after that, I was like, "Oh, I need to see more. I need to see more," to the point where it has absolutely become <laughs> one of the main focuses in my life. <laughs> yeah, and, dude, uh, you went full, yeah, hog, full on, full on. Full yeah. on. was that was at GCW last Friday. So may, the main, I haven't gone to a a gig in years. I feel like I mean that's probably not true. I've I've seen a few things, but going to see live wrestling is like. That's I'll go the, right that's now. That's the new concert, yeah. I'll go right if, – if I will interrupt this podcast. If someone invited us to go see a thing right now, I would go right now. Right. Okay. So specifically what we're talking about today is the WCW versus David Arquette. And WCW really could have been its own dump. And in a way, this is our attempt at covering it. But like the – the involvement of the actor David Arquette in WCW is so quintessential to the story of WCW that I felt like that moment is the dump and then everything else falls under it. So why is it a dump? Well, David Arquette's involvement in the WCW, a.k.a. World Championship Wrestling, is a dump because it is a true example of how vicious show business can be no matter what the format. 
While WCW's popularity was beginning to decline, David Arquette's popularity was on the rise. While WCW decided to cross-promote by becoming involved in the Arquette comedy vehicle Ready to Rumble, it signaled the end of the company as well as the beginning of the decline of Arquette's prominence. While WCW would dissolve shortly after their collaboration with Arquette, it was Arquette himself who would have to suffer the backlash for years to come. This backlash led to another one of the most bizarre wrestling matches in the history of the sport. And this dump is a combination of the consequences of bad business and the triumph of the human spirit. It's, there's a lot of ups and downs here. And it's going to get very, very confusing. And I'm really, I know that not all, I, we, first of all, we've been asked to do WCW and especially the David Arquette thing many times. Um, but that's from wrestling fans. So I'm trying to deliver this in a way that won't bore the non-wrestling fan. I, I think this is, I think anyone could be interested in this entire story. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, pro wrestling, by the way, has been around forever. It has its roots in vaudeville. Like, it, you know, it's like a carny thing. And let's just get this on the table right now. Wrestling is not fake. It is predetermined. It right. is scripted. It is a play. It's choreographed. But... If you know that someone is about to fucking, if a 300 pound man is about to jump off the top ropes onto your body and you know it's coming, it doesn't change the fact that a 300 pound man is jumping onto your body. Exactly. And a lot of the best stuff, especially back from the golden era, the 70s and 80s and stuff like that, matches like Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, yes, the outcome is predetermined, but especially in matches with someone like Ric Flair, that's the only thing that's predetermined. Everything else is being done in the ring. Right. And so it's – who cares? Yeah, it's, who cares? It's, it's so awesome. Yeah, like, who cares? It's like, dude, watching – like, if you can enjoy um, – like, if you're a person that enjoys watching professional football and you also enjoy watching plays, there's no reason why you shouldn't like professional wrestling. And, you know, plenty of sports, there's – there's payoffs. There's there's plenty of predetermined yeah, stuff yeah. in sports. Who this is just clear that it is predetermined. Right. Like Lance Armstrong, the fake bastard. Yeah. <laughs> Throwback to <laughs> one of our other episodes. Um, so we're gonna be talking a lot about regional companies because that's the thing. Professional wrestling, especially before it became a televised primetime, you know, go to event, it was made up of an intricate web of dozens and dozens if not hundreds of regional promotions all around the country so let's get into it wcw world championship wrestling now world championship wrestling or as it became known wcw could have been as i said a dump on its own and this is our way of doing that but the reason why and again this i'm just rehashing this because i gotta the reason why we have decided to anchor this dump around the david arquette incident is because that moment represents the absolute downfall of the wcw as well as the downturn of the promising young actor's film career so let us begin with the history of wcw and buckle up because it's going to get complicated Professional wrestling nowadays is for the most part dominated by World Wrestling Entertainment, formerly known as the World Wrestling Federation or the WWF, now WWE. We're going to stick with WWF because that's the era that we're mainly discussing. But prior to the mid-1980s, professional wrestling was comprised of dozens of regional promotions, all of which had their own stars, styles, bookers, and means of exposure. The timelines of the regional promotions that eventually morphed into WCW are complex and extremely long-winded, so we're giving you an abridged version. We both watched uh, this documentary, um, The Rise and Fall of WCW. It's hard to follow. 
it's a lot, and especially with the way the NWA, which I'm sure you'll discuss, the way that was formed and the way that it operated is, no matter how much you read about it, it's still insanely complicated and confusing. Right. And I, I mean, like, again, these documentaries are filled with people that A, were there, B, are like massive wrestling historians. And you could tell, like, they're racking their brains trying to keep the story straight. So it was tough. But here we go. At the dawn of professional wrestling as we know it, which is around the 1930s, there was one major star named Jim Londos. Londos was such a sensation that soon bookers across the country wanted to hire him, but because of regional loyalties, that was nearly impossible. That is, until a slick promoter named Jack Curley formed alliances across several territories, which would allow talent to travel and perform for other promotions, which in turn helped spread the wealth that pro wrestling had to offer. As new wrestling promotions and events began to spring up around the country, the competition grew fierce, especially when wrestling promotions began scoring television broadcast deals. Some of these programs, like, like or pro- problems that would happen, are like talent poaching, right? Yes. Which is like, oh, this guy is so big and like on the East Coast. If only we can get him out to the West Coast. And once event, once wrestling began, you know, became televised, that's when people started learning about other stars that they weren't able to see live at their promotion. And so talent poaching became a thing. Uh, bum contracts was a big thing. Uh, I can't recommend enough. I know I've brought it up on our series docu dumps and, and on Patreon things, but dark side of the ring. Oh yeah. It's incredible. It's quintessential watching again, even if you're not a wrestling fan, cause you're just like, Holy fuck. It's more true crime than anything. Totally. But you learn about how fucked up like these contracts are and how like, just gnarly people were being treated. Uh, the first pro wrestling television show aired in 1948. By Where the way. was that out of? Do you have that? No. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause it is crazy. But that's like gorgeous George. And totally. Like stuff like that. Yeah. And, and, and buddy Rogers, who is one of the greatest and you can actually find this on YouTube cause Chicago filmed a lot of stuff. So there's the Chicago film archives. I don't know. They've only put up, you know, minimal amount of stuff that they filmed. There's this amazing match with Buddy Rogers and it just escaped me who it's who it's with. My dad was actually at the match. Oh, yeah. the, the the announcer's incredible because it's just one commentator, and and Buddy Rogers is is the heel and he's the original Nature Boy. He's one of the great heels. And the, at one point, the commentator's like, uh, "Buddy, you so and so." Like, it, and like it's it, yeah, you got Buddy Rogers, Chicago. I, 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 again, I forget who it's. The against. art of wrestling announcing is kind of like the OG podcast. It's the greatest. Like, it's just like a bunch of drunk bros sitting at a table screaming over each other. And then, and then with, and then heel announcers. I mean, I think that uh, that. Um, Jesse Ventura is one of the great heel announcers. And of course, Bobby the Brain Heenan, who will come into play uh, later because he is WCW's announcer. But Ventura and and Gorilla Monsoon, Ventura and Vince McMahon are. It is some of the greatest. Ah, Gorilla. He's yeah. wrestling smart. Yeah. yeah. You know, like. Well, let's let's talk about that really quick because I, I, I was going to address it later, but I just realized that we're going to be using so many of these terms. What is a heel? Heel is the bad guy. Okay, and who's the good guy? The face, baby yeah, face, baby or the face. face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and other terms like is like showing color, meaning to uh, bleed. And there's all sorts of ways to make yourself bleed. Oftentimes, it's a hidden chunk of a razor blade right. that's either taped to their wrist or even like kept in their mouth. Yep. 
which I'm like, Jesus, fuck. Like, yeah. I don't want to keep a razor blade in my mouth just sitting still, let alone, like, going at it with, like, some gnarly son of a bitch. Ugh, you know? Uh, also, a work or, or work is is the, the whole, like, is, like, the gimmick or, like, the thing that you're trying to... Show, you know, right. the thing that you're trying to pull off for the audience. And then you have probably the most important term, kayfabe. Yes. And kayfabe essentially is the veil of secrecy where it's like, that's why people say that it's fake because they, they see kayfabe where it's like, yes, we know that backstage these guys are arranging, you know, the, like who's going to win the match and how they're going to do it and go about it. Kayfabe is making sure that no one knows that. Right. Like back in the territory territory days, the heels and the faces wouldn't travel together. Right. You couldn't even be seen at a bar together. Right. Because the fans in whatever town that would break the kayfabe. So that was the biggest thing. And, and really it wasn't until the nineties and Vince McMahon and the steroid trials that really kayfabe was fully completely broken. Right. It, people still hang on in ways. And I think it's great when they do. And even up to this Arquette, match and uh, matches in WCW there was still it was it was sort of in this weird place where it still was there a little bit but yeah work and then shoot is when it's real you know, oh a yeah, shoot, yeah a shoot is you know when you know um, when they to, break kayfabe when they break kayfabe exactly. exactly yeah and then there's also bumps which is like like if you get body slammed or they throw you through the ropes and you like go gnarly like anytime you get hit that's yeah. a bump yeah um, and bumps can be planned or not but I, either way so in 1948 many of the top promoters gathered in Waterloo Iowa in an attempt to form an alliance that would help cut out some of the classic pro wrestling problems. The outcome of this meeting was the NWA, a.k.a. the National Wrestling Alliance, not uh, N-word with attitude. Uh, through the NWA, agreements were made that allowed talent to move to and from different promotions and gave all the regions involved a fighting chance at success. It's a... Uh, it's a, yeah, the NWA was an umbrella organization under which several territories operated, and one of the most popular was Jim Crockett Promotions, which we will call JCP, uh, not to be confused with ICP. So I'm sorry. It, it, we're recording this on the anniversary of the very first day of Woodstock 99. So I got ICP on the brain. They played second stage at around six o'clock. Hey, a, an amazing ICP video is there's a great series called You Shoot, and it's it's shoot interviews that were done. What's sort of great is they were done in that golden period when people weren't getting canceled. So they sort of said a <laughs> lot of things. Days. It was right, but it was it was sort of but when people were open to sort of telling the stories right and they go they tell the stories and icp has one that is incredible and they were wrestlers before they wrestled in the early 80s it's true in michigan rvd they they knew the chic in the early 80s so though so when they got into wrestling and people were sort of calling them out it's like whatever but they were doing wrestling Right. Way early. And actually, I think the new documentary is called The United States of Insanity, and it's the documentary about ICP that follows their whole being caught, like Juggalos being classified as a gang. But it really serves as the quintessential ICP documentary, not produced by Psychopathic Records. Oh, it's, it's someone else does it? It's like real. Yeah, it's like a real ass documentary, and it's fucking amazing. And uh, yeah, they go really deep into wrestling. They come They come off as totally hilarious and get. They, they, they absolutely get 
their thing, I guess. Is what they I'm get their say, thing, right? They're, they're like, in on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. in on it. Yeah, it's a work. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's a work. So JCP was based out of the Carolinas, but soon began hosting events across the United States. Another one of the major promotions was Georgia Championship Wrestling, which was based out of Atlanta. Through the Turner Broadcasting System, Georgia Championship Wrestling began producing a weekly two-hour televised event on Saturday nights. Throughout the 1970s, Georgia Championship Wrestling, a.k.a. GCW, went through a series of talent, booking, and leadership changes. Each change brought its own benefits and failures. This is where I decided to leave out a bunch, because when you watch the rise and fall of WCW, like... It was seriously a whirlwind of like, we need a new executive. We need a new booker. A booker in the wrestling business is kind of who's in charge. They're like the showrunner in the television world. Like they are the ones that are going to pick who's against who, who's going to win. They drive the storyline. And then there will be an executive above them that actually owns the company. And that has to do with the finances rather than the actual production of it, the show. It gets really complicated, especially around this era. Right, I- I- exactly. Like a lot of the owners that came in to run GCW, uh, you know, alongside JCP was, you know, they didn't have any wrestling experience, so they didn't get it. They were more like profit driven, which is a good thing to be, but not when you're going to piss off guys that weigh 300 pounds of solid muscle and are super high on cocaine. And all they want to do is get in the ring and pretend to fuck someone else up. And now you're giving them a reason to actually fuck you up. Um, and then the, but then you also had the flip side where you had these wrestling guys that were really good at running these promotions, but they didn't have any television experience. So they didn't understand that aspect with like the advertising and time slots and things like that. And again, we're skipping over a lot of stuff here and an effort to keep the story straight but if you want all the nitty-gritty details check out the rise and fall of wcw which is available on peacock um in 1982 never was fast forwarding here 1982 gcw's television show changed its name to world championship wrestling still trying to find its footing the wcw time slot and the promotion behind it gcw was acquired by the wwf which was owned by vince mcmahon up until literally today (laughs) yeah i was gonna say you know it's crazy that we're even doing this because there's definitely a culture dump that's happening right now that yeah. of course with Vince McMahon, yeah, it, yeah, it's fuck. I love when that happens. That happens yeah. to us a lot. We're like, we're like, oh, fuck. like uh, we're about to. Uh, never mind. You have to sign up for Patreon to get the spoiler for next for uh, two weeks. From yeah, now's don't episode. don't. Yeah, that's you got to keep. Yeah, that. You, you get that on our Patreon exclusive show, Ryan's Report, which you can hear on Patreon.com/slash Culture Dumps. So. WWF buys out the the promotion. They, uh, WWF I is the big bought one. the company. I, I bought, bought the competition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, just like the most money hungry <laughs> son of a bitch. He's awesome, but terrible. Yeah, twelve million dollars for the payouts for sexual harassment. Like, yeah. and, and WCW was much less than that. So yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vince McMahon paid more to like quiet secretaries <laughs> than he did to buy out literal multi million dollar corporations. Yep. Out of control. So. However, even wrestling mogul Vince McMahon could not make WCW work, and he sold the show and its promotion company, GCW, in 1986 back to Jim Crockett Jr. Jim Crockett's Jr.'s father, Jim Crockett, was not only a wrestling promoter, but also concerts, other sports, and that's where JCP starts. Now it's like a family business. Um, they had a long history with wrestling, uh, most notably with their company, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. When you want to talk confusing, so you have Jim Crockett Promotions, right? 
under Jim Crockett Promotions, you have GCW and Mid-Atlantic Wrestling and maybe a couple other things. But it's all under – it's like how the NWA had all these regional promotions, right. but you were going to see an NWA event. It's totally fucking crazy. I'm sure wrestling fans that are listening are just like, you idiots! It's not that <laughs> yeah, hard! <right? laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Just fucking read. So Jim Crockett Promotions, again, a.k.a. JCP, had their own set of troubles with the business. And just two years after their deal with WWF sold JCP to Ted Turner in 1988, that is Ted Turner of Turner Broadcasting. And Ted Turner really did like wrestling. He was a wrestling fan. Yeah, absolutely. He was the first person to give wrestling a chance on TV. And, and, and I mean, to be quite honest, he is the godfather of televised wrestling. Yeah, the 605 on Saturday night. That's it. You know, and uh, Turner originally named his own wrestling subsidiary, the Universal Rep Wrestling Corporation. But due to the already established reputation of the TV show, he just changed the name of the entire company to World Championship Wrestling. And that is when WCW, as we know it, was born. And over the next six years, the company began to sink financially, never really finding its way into the national or global market. This was compounded by the fact that the WWF began to poach some of their top talent, most notably the nature boy, Ric Flair. Woo! <laughs> that was I love that like mental connection yes. there. Yeah, I mean, what else are you gonna do? <laughs> like, yeah, like, the other thing you could do if you're gonna do a Ric Flair impression and you don't want to do woo, pull your penis out in public. That. <laughs> that <laughs> Apparently, he did that a lot. <laughs> hey, man, he's a jet flying. Yeah, limousine riding, Alamo <laughs> shoot wearing. Yeah, dude, he was awesome. Well, here's the greatest part about being a pro wrestler back in the 80s is, like, again, kayfabe was everything. They didn't want to break kayfabe. So, like, if you were, for instance, there was Ted DiBiase and, like, Ric Flair, and their whole character was that they're so rich, chicks love them, they fly in private jets. So they had to fly in private jets yeah. and ride in limousines, whereas the other wrestlers didn't because yeah. that's not part. Like, Hacksaw Jim Duggan isn't going <laughs> to be put in a limousine because they'd be like why is hacksaw jim duggan in a limousine no. no that's saved for the guys whose character is rich so like it really became like a good thing to be like no like i'll be the bad guy and like everyone can hate me and like my thing is i'm really rich and i only eat good food and i stay in my own hotel room and i never drive myself <laughs> great like, idea yeah beautiful, beautiful. Like, i love it <laughs> yeah it, it's fucking crazy and the wwf really was and i mean up until a, a couple years later it was the go-to for wrestling. I mean, picture, you know, you have the NFL, you have MLB, NBA. That's what WWF was and and continues to be, really. We'll, we'll get into the changes with that uh, sure. soon because I know that you're up on all the new stuff. Sure. But, um, I mean, they were known for a huge pay-per-view events. You know, they had tons of TV shows. They had, like, like late-night shows like Tuesday Night Titans, all this supplementary stuff, right. you know? And also, not every WWF match or even WCW match was televised. They right. would do it continuously, and so what they would, but they would film it all. So on these supplementary shows, they could show clips from a match that you didn't see on TV. House shows, which would be the other term. House shows, yeah. yeah, perfect, yeah. Not like the fucking shitty ones that I'm used to playing. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like oh. these, yeah, these guys didn't have to like check their car every 20 minutes to make sure the windows were still there. You know, <laughs> just side note. Speaking of Gray, he used to have shows in his loft, and it was in such a terrible neighborhood in Detroit that it was we it was recommended to not lock your car. So that your Just windows didn't get it. smashed out. <laughs> so, because that did happen with people that their windows got smashed, and so they said, "Take everything out of your car and just don't lock it. That way, 
you won't. Get... Is, yeah, they'll check it first. Yeah. Yep. Or you could even be nice and leave some for like the the thief fairy sure. and like leave a couple bucks on the sure, dash sure, as sure, like a courtesy. Yeah. Like, thank you for not breaking my windows. Uh, it would be the efforts of one very creative and enterprising individual that would bring WCW out of the gutter and into the spotlight. Enter Eric Bischoff. In 1994, TBS named Eric Bischoff as WCW's senior vice president, essentially giving him full control of the product. Bischoff was a good fit not only because he was a former ringside announcer for WCW, as well as the show's executive producer, but he was a younger and more savvy man that, you know, than any of the guys that held that position before him. Everyone else was like old TV executives. They're like, well, I did Dick Van Dyke or like, you know, like that era. Like some of these guys that were running WCW before Bischoff came had worked in TV before it was in color. Exactly. And and then the people who worked in wrestling, Bill Watts, for example, uh, Mid-South Wrestling is absolutely some of the best stuff you can watch. It's uh, You can watch it on the, the network. It's incredible. But he didn't... He wanted it to still be 1982. He didn't want the mats on the floor. He was just he would fine people. That's what he did in Mid South. He would if you did something he didn't like, you would get fined. He wanted to do that in WCW. It just it was one of those things where it's like, dude, no one's gonna deal with you. Right. Well, and it's funny because that's something that like was real then, but that's the kind of thing that would become a work later. Exactly. Where they're like, yeah, exactly. like where you would be like the storyline would be like, Oh, you're gonna owe two million dollars to right. the corporation if you lose this. It's like, no, they're not. But like you know that but back in the day, like, no, yeah. like if you if you didn't if you landed on the mats. You're yep. gonna get fined like five hundred bucks totally. because like you would fucking do that. Yep. made it look like you're a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It, it's a whole fucking thing. So Bischoff would go on to implement major changes in the programming that would launch WCW to the top of the pro wrestling world. One of the major things he did was he moved the show from regional locations, which again would bounce around, and he put it in a fixed place, which is at Disney MGM Park, which meant that every week when they would do it, because there was so many people going into the Disney MGM, the place would be full. There's so many early WCW matches where like half the seats are empty. And you're just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and there's a lot of later ones that are like that, too. But, yes, <laughs> it's definitely like that. And what a crazy thing, right? You just go to MGM as a... And it's there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and he's like, boom. Now, and also that allowed them to have, like, rather than having a traveling camera crew and, like, live broadcast setup, which would, you know, be such a hassle. Uh, that, that's the other thing. Um, he Bischoff didn't believe in in taping. It, everything was always going to be completely live from the event, which which made it exciting because you didn't know what was going to happen. There was no leaks or anything. And I know like having like the outcome of like a reality show leaking nowadays would be huge news. Um, they didn't have the internet really back then, but word within the wrestling world would travel fast if something happened. and It was televised before it made it onto TV, and that will come into play later. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, he also, probably the biggest thing is he signed Hulk Hogan, who at the time was the absolute biggest wrestler. Probably, if you look at the history of wrestling as a whole. Still no, to this day, really. He is the biggest. Yeah. I mean, you have people like, you have still your Stone Colds, your Rocks, your fucking John Cena's and stuff. I mean, Hulk Hogan was the first wrestler to be in movies. You know, not really many other guys did it. You have Roddy Roddy Piper and They Live, but that's like a cult classic. Yeah, he, he the movies he was in and, and Hell Comes to Frogtown, he was sort of in weirder movies that are incredible. He's one of the greatest. But yeah, I, th I feel like it's Hogan, Macho Man, then Stone Cold, The Rock. 
Right. Cena, the Rock being the most successful. Yeah. Cena is trailing close behind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Hulk Hogan, it didn't get bigger than that. And he also brought back Ric Flair. So now you have two of the biggest like old timers going into this new era, the 90s. And now they're there together because Hogan and Flair never really wrestled against right. each other right. until they were both at WCW, I believe. I think no, 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 they had one in, in WWF, right? Mi- minimally, they, but it wasn't like the... Rick Flair, Ricky Steamboats, or the Hogan, Andres. Right. Exactly. It wasn't until WCW that they were really known together. Kind of. Yes. So perhaps the most important contribution made by Eric Bischoff was the creation of a weekly WCW show on primetime television. That show, which debuted on September, I think it was September 5th, by the way, but it was September of 1995, was WCW Monday Nitro. Nitro was not only a big deal because it was the first WCW primetime show, but it was also broadcasted completely live and aired at the same time as the leading wrestling show, WWF's Monday Night Raw. Okay, Raw is a cooler name for a show, but like... Monday Nitro, like that's a pun, dude, and I can't resist that. Hey, they, you know what? He got, he nailed it with that. Yeah, Monday Night, dude, Monday Nitro. Yeah, Monday so Night good. Raw. You've already spent too much time talk, like, <laughs> saying it. Now, the difference between prime time, like wrestling, like I said, it was originally aired on Saturday nights. That's not a big time for TV because people go out, especially young folks, and live wrestling events happen on Saturday nights and, right. we- and weekends. Prime time is like Monday night after everyone's home from work they're not going to go out because they have to go to work the next day that's considered prime time like 7 to 10 p.m that's the best slot you could get on television and wrestling had never been on that before with the exception of raw and now all of a sudden there was another choice like you had you had two that you could pick from it blew wrestling fans minds i mean the and the main difference between wwf and wcw and this these differences would get more extreme as time went on, but WCW had more realistic wrestlers. They didn't like the character stuff. Whereas WWF had like, you know, they would eventually have mankind, the undertaker and Kane and like these crazy, you know, storylines and characters. WCW was like, no, these wrestlers, their names, like they have regular ass names and they're competing for a title. And like the only storyline is them moving through the bracket to get closer to the title. It wasn't like, well, you fucked my girlfriend. And then Vince McMahon, like fucking took my mom out on a date and he's in the hospital. So I got to bring a clown at like all this crazy shit that WWF did. WCW was like, no, we're going to be more real. Um, And fed up talent from WWF, be, they had no other place to go at that time. There was no place bigger. Now they had something equivalent. So a lot of talent started coming over from the WWF to WCW. The first Nitro was when Lex Luger walked in, right? That was right. The, at the Mall of America, right? That was yeah, where it was filmed, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a humble beginnings, man. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. fucking, I mean, granted, it's the biggest mall in the fucking world, but you know, still, you know, it's still a fucking mall. Like you can't, you know, you can't put lipstick on a turd. So the the following three years would go down in history as the most exciting and entertaining for wrestling fans ever. The competition for ratings between WCW and WWF became known as the Monday Night Wars. The two giants went back and forth, introducing increasingly daring gimmicks and matches. From 
1995 to 1998, WCW Monday Nitro dominated the Monday Night Wars, which I didn't realize. I because I was I was so fiercely dedicated to WWF, right. like because I was a kid, you know, right. in the in the 90s, so I wanted the costumes and like the craziness and like I was like, "Oh, these guys are boring, man." Like, you know, WCW's fucking Goldberg bullshit. But like I had no idea that they were actually more successful. Eighty three weeks. That's the that was the amount of weeks that WCW won those wars. It's eighty three weeks. That's insane. And that and the big thing that sparked that off was of course the invasion of with the outsiders. Oh yeah. And that's when, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash came over and the way they did again. We're talking kayfabe, and we're talking pre – what I always say is pre-ubiquitous internet. Yes, obviously the internet existed in the 90s, but it wasn't this thing that – You had to be a real nerd. Yeah, exactly, and everything wasn't on there. So when Scott Hall and Kevin Nash came over, it felt like – and the way they played it was that this was real. They were right. really here, and they're being Scott – it's not Razor Ramon, and it's not it's not Diesel. Right. Okay, so that that's yeah. a big difference right there that perfectly exemplifies what we're talking about as far as the reality-based things. So when Scott Hall was wrestling for WWF, he was Razor Ramon. The, the bad guy. The bad guy. And he would do R.I.P. Like, he had this, like, semi, like, Scarface-influenced Cubano accent, but he's obviously this white dude, and it was really bizarre. And then, yeah, uh, Nash was – was Diesel, who was like a bodyguard for Shawn Michaels. That was his character. They come over to WCW. He's not Razor Ramon. He's fucking Scott Hall. And he's not doing this dumb accent. He's wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And Kevin Nash is not Big Daddy Cool Diesel. He's fucking Kevin Nash. And I'm a badass like just myself. And that became the difference. And what they formed was called the NWO, the New World Order. And WWF tried to do the – well, they – not tried. I mean, they pulled off very successfully doing the same thing with Degeneration X, where it's like right. these are the bad guys of our company, and not only are they the be- like the heels as far as the matches go, as far as you guys know as fans, these guys are trying to take over the company. Right, and NWO is exactly that. Right, and I never really understood that because I had what, in my opinion, is probably the worst wrestling video game of all time: WCW versus NWO, because <laughs> I didn't understand. I was like. Who the fuck is NW? Like, what the fuck is this? I want to. I want WrestleMania 2000 for N64. I don't want fucking WCW versus NWO. Uh, but uh, either way, like, so they, that was really the big push. And then, like, one of the biggest things that they did was Hulk Hogan, who was the world's good guy, turns heel in WCW. It totally reinvents himself, joins the NWO, and now that gave all these WWF fans a reason to tune into WCW because like Hulk Hogan's a bad guy now. Like, holy fuck. Um, they did that. They also did tons of celebrity stuff, which would pretty much signify their, their you know, signal the downfall. Um, they brought in international wrestlers too. They brought in lots of luchadors, well, Japanese that- wrestlers, because wrestling in America is big. It's fucking huge in Japan. Well, and that's the thing is that the biggest thing WCW did that's that almost predicted the future was bringing in people like Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit. Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio, Rey Mysterio, because they weren't the big guys; they were the cruiserweights. And cruiserweights, while, exactly. Yeah, that, that's that. I, I was I was thinking featherweight, but that's yeah, cruiserweight. cruiserweight. And yeah. so while they didn't necessarily get giant in WCW, they're going to go on to become regarded as some of the greatest of all time, obviously. And and someone like Jericho is still going. Obviously, Rey Mysterio is still going. So that's actually one of the biggest things they did that was 
almost under the radar of the NWO stuff and why a lot of those people would end up defecting to WWF because they weren't getting the pushes that some, that NWO is getting. But, I, you know, I I love the Hogan. It's so funny because there's – Hogan's the worst bad guy. Dude, it's, his, his air – He's like, oh, brother, I don't give a crap. His air guitar on the, on on the, the belt. belt. Yeah, it's like – it's the greatest. Also, yeah. it's funny because, like, Hogan was – like, because he went bald so early, probably due to all the weird shit he was jacking into his body, like, he just wears the same thing, but it's all black. and 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 like picture at home whatever you're wearing right now that's you as a normal person you day-to-day like john doe jane doe like that's you now picture the evil you and you're wearing the same exact thing you have on now but it's all black and according to him it was really last minute that he accepted the heel turn basically it, he was not into it at first he was like no how could i be the he- I'm yeah the- bad guys don't tell kids to eat their vitamins yeah i'm the real american fight for the right of every <laughs> the man. real american is a bad yeah, guy yeah, yeah. so it's like he eventually they convinced him according to him last minute i mean who knows it's, i'm sure he's well did you watch villains the- of course yeah, yes yeah. that's what i'm that's what i'm referring to and again you, with, you never know with wrestling with and especially WWE stuff it's like they frame it how they want to frame it and so however that really did go he was hesitant and I'm sure he was hesitant sure. of doing it because he was the you know the biggest you know wrestler and he was the eat your vitamins say your prayers guy but of course it did completely revitalize his entire thing absolutely yeah um uh, probably an, an, one of the more as as far as the business side of things goes, WCW did very few pay-per-views, whereas WWF, you would spend, say, all year watching these televised matches on Raw uh, um, in order to get to the culmination of the storyline, which you would have to pay to see at WrestleMania or, you know, SummerSlam or whatever, whatever it was. Um, WCW rarely did that. Right. So they allowed their viewers to see some of the most important matches in the company's history for virtually no cost. Right. Big, big point there. In 1998, WCW debuted another weekly show, Thursday Night Thunder, which would be answered by WWF's Thursday Smackdown the following year. These guys are literally at each other's throats. Laying the Smackdown on your candy ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Smackdown actually made its way. Like, okay, no one knows about Thursday Thunder anymore, but Smackdown is actually in the fucking dictionary. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like yeah, Webster's yeah, yeah. was like, all right, we can't ignore this fucking Smackdown shit. So despite WCW's growing success, they began to take some extreme risks program-wise that would eventually destroy the long-protected pro wrestling facade known as kayfabe. One of the biggest things that they did, and this wasn't necessarily something that they did to fuck themselves up. This was a very underhanded thing they did to WWF. They spoiled the results of an episode of Raw in 1998. It's insane. Yeah, so Mankind, pretty much an underdog in WWF. While he was one of the biggest guys, he was like the goofball, the crazy guy. Like, he lost a lot of his... His most famous matches, Mankind, he lost. Yeah, yeah but he's But you yeah. know him because he got his fucking ass handed to him so fucking crazily. Like, it's insane. Mick Foley, by the way, who, who performed as Mankind, is God. Foley is God. Foley is God. Absolutely. His And uh, his daughter, Noelle, is uh, not, not so bad either. Nothing wrong with her. <laughs> but, um, like, so they got the results because, again, Raw was taped. So 
someone like on the inside was like, oh, mankind's going to win the championship belt. So WCW on air is like, oh, and by the way, in case you're missing Raw, here's what happens. And they give all the results. But what they didn't expect was when they told everyone that mankind was going to win the championship, everyone's like, oh, shit, really? And they all changed the channel to watch it on WWE. Right. It could backfire, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, they're oh, well, I don't want to miss that. <laughs> yeah. Whereas before, like, you know, they wouldn't have known. Um so yeah, we already explained what, what all this is. But yeah, to break kayfabe was the biggest no-no, and WCW is going to continue to do that. Now, the use of celebrities at pro wrestling events is nothing new. At the very first WrestleMania, for instance, which is the Super Bowl of pro wrestling, Cindy Lauper, Liberace, a future culture dump, which I just don't have the heart to put together yet, Mr. T, who could also be a culture dump, and Muhammad Ali, not a dump, were all in attendance and were used as valets, announcers, and referees. A valet is someone that walks someone to the ring. One thing that was not done and was viewed by the wrestling world as somewhat taboo was the use of celebrities in actual matches. Right. It's a big deal. And and at WrestleMania 3, Alice Cooper came out with Jake the Snake, which was fitting Alice Cooper with the snake. Sure. And and exactly. He doesn't he, – he's just sort of there. He does have a snake, but he doesn't get involved. So I think it was WrestleMania 2, Roddy, Roddy Roddy Piper boxes Mr. T. Mr. T, yes. But that's a boxing match. And yeah, that's different. yeah, yeah. And, and he, that could be one because Piper hated that match. He hated Mr. T. Yeah, because he's not a boxer. Yeah, and, but 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 exactly. So like WrestleMania 3, they're in Detroit. They got Alice Cooper. So they would that was part of it for sure, but it wasn't – they weren't in the matches – Right, they weren't wrestling because a you can get fucking hurt, <laughs> you know. What I, mean? I mean, nowadays we see it like, for instance, this past WrestleMania, you had Logan Paul who actually did pretty well, and you had the Jackass crew doing like a fucking hard. That was match, wild. Yeah, just fucking so awesome. fun, yeah. so fun. But fuck again, anyone who didn't think that was fun. By the way, that was so fun. Yeah, it was fun yeah. as fuck. Yeah. yeah. Now, while it is general knowledge that wrestling matches are predetermined, the stigma of wrestling being fake is still something that pro wrestling or that the pro wrestling community continuously battles. By bringing untrained celebrities into the mix, the veil is lifted. This was especially true during the tag team match between Diamond Dallas Page and Jay Leno against Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff in 1998. Insane. What? <laughs> Insane. What? Not the guy you want in your corner when you're going against like pro wrestling, but also Eric Bischoff, right? He was not a wrestler, but this was at a time when Vince McMahon was starting to wrestle in the WWF because his whole character was like, I'm the boss. You want to take control? You have to beat me. But Vince McMahon got fucking jacked for that. And he has some of the most legendary matches of that era. Right, right, right. You know, and like, but he had been in the business for so long. Eric Bischoff, not so much. No. You know, and again, it's with Hulk Hogan and then Diamonds Dallas Page, DDP. He was one of the biggest crowd favorites at the time. But then a Jay Leno? Fucking Jay Leno? Like, no. And another celebrity-infused stunt was the tag team match between Diamond Dallas Page. Diamond Dallas Page really got looped yeah, into he all was, this bullshit. He was in a lot. Yeah, He was yeah, in yeah, all yeah. this bullshit, dude. He's he sort a, of the... Yeah, he's sort of the bridge of all these. Yeah, guys. it's yeah. fucked up. Yeah, but it was it was Diamond Dallas Page and Carl Malone against Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman. All right? Like... Dude. That's is that's about as nineties as it gets for you know <laughs> seriously you know. yeah WCW yeah. Dennis Rodman Malone yeah yeah um and but the build up to these matches was extreme like for instance for the Leno match there were Bischoff and uh, Hogan took over his show and like kicked him off his desk and like had another wrestler take him backstage and rough him up and they're like we're hosting this show now and that match actually took place at Sturgis the biggest motorcycle 
like fucking hard ass motherfucker gathering in the world. <laughs> and Jay Leno won. He so fucking insane. won. See, that's so the other thing, insane. though. It's like if you're going to have a celebrity like that, like kick their ass. Well, the and I would say the greatest in- integration of a celebrity in wrestling has to be Andy Kaufman. Again, oh, I don't sure. even know if you would call that a quote-unquote dump, but that is an episode just in general because it's so incredible. And Kaufman really respected wrestling and was so into kayfabe. I mean, obviously his comedy. He was so into kayfabe that he pissed off the wrestlers. Yes, yeah, and and it's that's some of the greatest stuff you can. And they go on, you know, him and Lawler go on Letterman, and Lawler says Kaufman was amazing, and was so cool about the entire thing, and had a, a lot of ideas were Kaufman's, and that's what he, Lawler also says that Jim Carrey just did not get Kaufman in any way. Right. Yeah, because in the Jim Carrey. Uh, you know, the documentary about him playing Andy Kaufman, like he, you know, he goes full method yeah. and he's like fucking with Jerry the King and yeah, Jerry the King was like, that's not what it's it was not, like. We were like, he, yeah. We were like buddies he and was, we're wrestlers. We like. got it. He, Kaufman got it. He wasn't like that right. in, when we were figuring all this stuff out. So that probably is still to this day, probably the greatest overall thing, but it's also because they made people believe yeah. That it was real. Right. And you had like Mike Tyson being involved in sure, WWF. Sure, sure, You had Donald Trump being involved in the WWF. Great, uh, great involvement. Perfect involvement. Fantastic. I was the greatest wrestler. Fantastic. Fantastic. But but he's... Frankly. But, but like they weren't in actual matches. Like while there are moments like for instance when Trump like fucks up McMahon or whatever. Yeah. Like that's like very little. Like they're not like main event shit. You know, like that, that's not what was happening. Um, the Malone and Rodman beef, they actually would bring that to their games, which is not fucking predetermined at all. And like something you don't fuck with and they would fuck with each other in an effort to like build up the thing for WCW. I'm sure at the behest of their fucking coaches. Um, Also for the Rodman Malone Hogan DDP thing, their press conference for that was at planet Hollywood. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That that footage is amazing. Yeah. Beside the matches that included celebs, there were also moments like Kiss performing a four-minute lip sync for some reason or random appearance by Megadeth. These cheap attempts at sensational content were overshadowed by unforeseen events that also served to end WCW's reign. Take, for instance, the October of 1998's pay-per-view event, Halloween Havoc, where the undefeated Goldberg was to face off against another crowd favorite, Diamond Dallas Page. Because WCW had gone over their allotted time limit, the live feed was terminated before the conclusion of the match, forcing WCW to refund viewers millions of dollars. That's insane. Well, that's what you get when you don't fucking do pay-per-views. Yeah, as you, much don't know, as you, you don't know how to do it right. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess if you if you rent pay-per-view space, you're allowed five minutes over. It's like working for a corporate job. You're allowed to clock in five minutes late. But yeah. like once you're over there, and they went seven minutes over, and they cut the feed uh, after five minutes. So, and, but yeah, and, and which is also just goes to show you how quickly these things can happen. So after the five minutes they went over, they cut it. But the match ended two minutes after that. So if they were allowed seven minutes, everyone would have it would have been fine. But no. And so they had to give all that money back. And that money pays for the fucking venue rental and pays for everyone's salary for that fucking day and the bonuses and all that stuff. All that's gone. That is a huge hit. Another big mistake was the appointing of wrestling star Kevin Nash as the lead booker. Yeah. Who, upon his appointment, immediately booked himself to beat the organization's biggest star, Goldberg, who had never lost, and that was his thing. First thing this other wrestler does is like, no, I'm going to beat him. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) It's insane. 
And also, not to mention that, na like, all the guys in NWO, with the exception of Hogan, were getting really fucked up. Like, they all have, like, behind the wrestling, like, behind the music wrestling shit going on with them. Like, they're all Dark Side of the Ring episodes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, Scott Hall, obviously, rest in peace, one of the sure. greatest of all time, but... He certainly one of those Kevin Nash, he, Magic Mike too. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. But with Scott Hall, obviously the life he lived, no, you know, it it caught up. You know, that's gonna catch up with you eventually, no matter what you do. To I mean, he came out fucked up on live TV on for it's, WCW. It's pretty wild. It's pretty bad. Um, but yeah, putting like that the way that like the executives and like other wrestlers describe Nash being the broker was the inmates are running the asylum. Yeah. You know, so the contract style of WCW also began fucking with the money as well, because I believe that they were giving guarantees, which was promising at first because WWF was more based on merit yep. and based on like, well, no, like if we decide that you're going to get big, obviously you get bigger paychecks. You get a big bonus for doing this, doing that. WCW was like, fuck that. That leaves it up to them on how much they're going to pay you. We'll sign you with a guarantee. So no matter what, but the wrestlers were like, okay, well, I know that I'm going to get this much anyway. So like, why not get fucked up. Well, exactly. And and that's another part of the idea of it being predetermined or whatnot is that in WWF, J, JR was actually the guy who determined that a lot into I can't it's into the 2000s. I don't remember when he stopped being that guy. Well, he was also one of the Jim Ross, yeah. J, JR, oh, he yeah. he was also he left WCW to go to WWF. Oh, right. Yes, exactly. And so it would be determined how good your match was, what your payday was. So there is that element. So it's not just the script, the you know, what, and you know the outcome that you're right. that is scripted that you're going to. Well, that's why venues go. don't want to pay bands a guarantee, right? Unless you're fucking huge, because they're like, no, like we, we should pay you based on the door. Because if no one comes to see you, we're not going to shell out the same amount of money we would for someone that like sold a billion drinks at the bar, right? So it's so it's just it was it was like that with with wrestling, but these guarantee contracts and even down to, and I would actually like to get confirmation of that because it's in the documentary it's big show saying that this is the case so i don't know if this is the case but that hall and nash had these contracts that basically they were going to be the highest paid people in wcw so if someone came in and made more money than them their money got bumped up now right i'm pretty sure only big show was saying that so that i don't know if that's a thousand percent true but what a what a I mean I it's mean, just fucked. Yeah, totally. It's all fucked. Now, in my humble opinion, the true death blow to WCW was the hiring of one Vince Russo as head writer. Russo had left the WWF where he held the same position. Russo himself has admitted publicly many times that he was never really a wrestling fan. It was more interested in the soap opera style storylines and outrageous gimmicks. Russo was responsible for some of the most controversial moments in professional wrestling history, WCW or WWF. Probably the biggest would be the Brawl for All, which is a whole episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Very briefly, what that was, was Russo, again, had no respect for wrestling, no respect for, for the, the industry or anything. And he heard this guy, this wrestler, Dr. Death, talk. Or, no, it wasn't Dr. Death. It, it was no, JBL. It was JBL. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Death was the guy they wanted to win. Okay. Yes. So th this all goes into why wrestling is predetermined. So JBL is backstage 
you know, in the locker room saying, you know, if this was real, I would kick all your asses. And Vince Russo was like, oh, there's an idea. Why don't we have a boxing match between these wrestlers? And it'll be a bracket system. So you win this match, you move up to the next guy. And they have this new guy, Dr. Death, that in their head was going to be the next biggest thing. Because he was so gnarly. He was an ex-football player. Goldberg, who was WCW's biggest guy, was an ex-football player. JR was was great friends with him and wanted him to be a big guy in in WWF. But not... Through this. Right. This was all Russo. Yeah, and so so the whole thing with the Brawl for All was like, you guys are actually going to fight each other with gloves on in the ring, and it'll be a series of, of events where we're doing this, and it'll culminate where the winner of the Brawl for All gets to do a headlining match with Stone Cold Steve Austin, the biggest star on the fucking planet. And, like, left and right, first of all, these guys can't fight like that because they're not, they're, they're, they're trained to do these moves with someone in agreement that the move is going to be done to them. But now they're really fighting. And you had someone like the wrestler, of the Godfather, who was a Vegas bouncer forever. And he's just fucking people up. And like, also like, you don't want these guys to get hurt because that's your fucking bread and butter. Like if they get fucking the shit kicked out of them, they can't wrestle the next night at the house show. hundred percent. And then you, and then you had people like, cause this was also when, when UFC was getting big. So they were trying to, Combine Use all this. it. Yeah. So, so Ken Shamrock was in WC. So he could actually, but he wasn't. He was like, dude, this is pretty messed up. Well, like, I don't. Did he even do it? I don't think he. I don't he, think he even did it because they're yeah. like, if he does it, he's He'll just gonna actually, fuck everyone up. Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but but the whole everybody. thing was they just thought that Doctor Death would kill everyone, and there was this little wrestler who was barely getting any fucking airtime. And within ten, like within five seconds of the bell ringing, he knocks him out cold. And so, rather than them giving him his deserved prize, his match against Stone Cold, they're like, "Fuck, you fucked up our whole thing." Where we're hyping up Doctor Death, they hire. Uh, they're like, "You have to do one more boxing match against Butterbean, who Dude. like knocks people out. Like he brushes his teeth. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like he's the guy in the first Jackass movie that Johnny Knoxville. Uh, yeah." punches johnny knoxville by the way who was in wrestlemania yep. has the funniest line when butterbean knocks him out and his head's bleeding he goes is butterbean okay which <laughs> <laughs> is so fucking good but butterbean says he even says in this in the dark side of the ring episode he's like you know if that guy had trained a little bit more if he had like two years of training he he might have been able to beat me like sure, for sure, real. sure yeah he's like like, I mean, he hit me and it was fucking hard. He's like, but I fucking decimated his ass. And so then, like, that guy couldn't get his match with Stone Cold. But that was Russo. That's Russo in a nutshell. Yep. Like, just no respect for what actually goes on. Not at all. And and if you ever hear Jim Cornette, he only refers to Vince Russo as shit stain. That is, if yeah. you ever hear him call anyone shit stain. Jim Cornette is probably my favorite voice of professional oh, wrestling yeah. history. He was he was also one of the head. He was actually a co-head writer at WWF during the Brawl for All and was the one saying, yeah. Vince, do not do this. Yeah. Like, this will fuck up people's lives. And he didn't listen to him. But anyways... So the major difference between WCW and WWF at the time was the sheer amount of wrestling. WCW prided itself on in-ring action, whereas WWF attempted to be more of an immersive product with drama-driven storylines rather than a traditional format of wrestlers moving up a bracket to win championships. When Russo began writing for WCW, he brought with him all of the tropes of WWF that WCW fans tuned in to escape, causing the show's ratings 
to slip. That's the big thing. Like, they didn't have a lot of that stuff. Like, obviously, there'd be a little beef and there'd be trash talking and stuff and, like, promos. A promo, by the way, is, like, when, like, you have Mean Gene Okerlund, who was originally WWF. He actually yeah. went on to WCW and then back, I think. Or, no, maybe he retired. I don't think he went back, he retired. but one of the great boys. He was old as shit, yeah. God, but, he's amazing. Yeah, he was awesome. But, like, you know, when the guy's talking, like, and next week, blah, 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 I'm going to fucking kill you. You know, that's a promo. The cream rises, rises to, to the, the top. top. Oh, dude. Cup of coffee <laughs> in the morning. coffee in the big time. Yesterday's garbage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> dude, Macho Man is probably maybe the greatest promo. I mean, The Rock. Rock I mean, and Macho so Man many. to me are neck and neck. I mean, As dude. far as best promos. Absolutely. Actually, folks, this is a good time for me to plug something I was a part of during quarantine. There was a little something called the IWF, Isolation Wrestling Federation, which was a group of comedians that decided to cut promos as like made up like wrestling characters that they would create. And uh, you would call each other out over Instagram. This is during the height of COVID. So no one, no comedians were doing shows. No one was doing anything. And uh, I created scary Bradshaw based on Carrie Bradshaw of sex in the city. And that was my whole fucking thing. I'm having all the sex in the city. This is scary Bradshaw. I'm sipping Cosmos and beating all you bums in the ring. Yeah, it was a whole fucking deal, but that's, that's a promo. But that's about the extent of WCW's, like, pre-filmed stuff. Right. You know, they, they weren't doing this whole, like, romance shit. Like, so, like, it, it really is, even the most hardcore wrestling fan will tell you that it's, yeah, it's soap opera. I mean, Goldberg famously never spoke. In Goldberg never right, spoke. Right, Yeah, ever. Yeah, that's so crazy. I didn't realize that at the time. Now, in a desperate attempt to shake things up and regain their position as the number one wrestling program, a cross-promotion was developed between WCW and an all-but-forgotten PG-13 wrestling-themed titty comedy titled Ready to Rumble. Now, we introduce David Arquette, the people's champ. <laughs> David Arquette. David Arquette is a well-known actor who comes from Hollywood royalty. Born September 8, 1971, at a Virginia-based commune founded by his multi-talented father, Louis Arquette. That's just crazy to me, by the way. You, I mean, you know if you're born in a commune, you're going to be Hollywood royalty, much like River Phoenix, oh, Children of God. Different kind of commune. And, oh, and actually... <laughs> One of the stars of Ready to Rumble, Rose McGowan, I believe, was also Children of God, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I wow. may be spreading lies right now, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah, her family. Careful lie about her. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's great. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. So, Louis Arquette, his father, he found great success as an actor, as did David's grandfather, Cliff Arquette. So many members of the Arquette family have stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. All right, like it, they really are. The Arquette family is a Hollywood institution. His four siblings, Rosanna, Patricia, Richmond, and Alexis, all went on to be film and television actors as well. Alexis Arquette, by the way, uh, probably the most interesting out of the whole bunch, um, next to David. I, on our Patreon, patreon.com slash culture dumps, I have a whole side episode where I talk about my dealings with her doing laundry at Alexis Arquette's house and uh, having band practice at, at her house and, um, eventually are uh are falling out but rest in peace alexis now david has described his childhood as one part idealistic and one part kind of dark there is you know there was some substance abuse issues with his parents especially on his mom's side his sisters got it really bad um you know again they're raised in a commune when they came from being super rich that's the thing like if you live in a commune you're either super rich and decide to not be anymore or you're super down on your luck <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those two. It doesn't, yeah, like no one just like normal is like, you know what? Like, I think I'm just gonna, no, it doesn't work like that. Now, as it stands, David Arquette has around 145 acting credits, but is mostly known for his appearances in the Scream franchise. Despite the popularity of the franchise, especially the first film, which was released in 1996, the role stunted his career, which quickly turned from being comprised of interesting and challenging roles to him being typecast as a lovable goofball. This decline is beautifully charted in the 2020 documentary You Cannot Kill David Arquette, which we're going to talk about a lot more in, in a little bit, but I cannot recommend enough that it's you see so that good. shit. It, uh, it gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it's, so it, it's like almost a tearjerker. Now, Arquette was a long, you know, he was a lifelong wrestling fan. He would often watch televised events and even attended events with his father, who voiced Jimmy Superfly Snuka on the WWF cartoon in the 1980s. He really was a fan. He liked this shit a lot from as far back as he can remember. So Jimmy Fly Snuka, a murderer. Jimmy Fly Snuka yeah. is a murderer. Yes, yes absolutely. Now, <laughs> yeah, like I'll just say it. Dark Side of the Ring, dude. Yes. I, like this whole episode <laughs> is a big plug for Dark Side of the Ring. Please hire me as a research consultant. <laughs> so when he was offered a role in the 2000 wrestling comedy Ready to Rumble, he was more than game. The film follows two wrestling mega fans who take it upon themselves to salvage the career of their favorite wrestler, played by Oliver Platt, who is betrayed and fired at a WCW Monday Nitro. The film features appearances by members of the WCW roster, including Goldberg, Diamond Dallas Page, and Chris Canyon. Chris Canyon, another episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. He was a closeted gay wrestler who was, I mean, he was making waves for sure. And he was actually one of the main trainers for Ready to Rumble. He, he taught David Arquette how to do a lot of the moves and stuff. He was like his in-ring supervisor. And he was his stunt double. And a stunt double, yep. yeah, yeah. But he was gay and like, he, you know, especially back then, you, he couldn't tell anyone. And he ended up uh, killing himself. It's it's tremendously sad story. Um, but yeah, this, this movie really did serve as like a, the WCW movie. I mean, yeah, and it's be, terrible. By it's, the way. It's, it's, it's really, really bad. bad. I love really what I don't consider them bad, but what many people could consider bad comedies like a police Academy. Meatballs. I, I, I love meatballs. I love screwballs. I, I, these are movies that I watch yearly. I, I, love them. I love them. This is a rough movie. Yeah. It has Even, no business being yeah. two hours long. No, it's too long. If it was 70 minutes, it'd be great. Probably. <laughs> yeah. It goes off the rails. And I think with, the Jimmy the King character not being a wrestler, it's hard to sort of get into it. Yeah, like wrestlers were in movies. Like you yeah. could have gotten an actual wrestler to play sure. the main wrestler. Instead, you got the guy from Lake Placid. Uh, no Holds Barred is fantastic with Hulk Hogan as Rip. And uh, and that's Dude, Macho a, Man as Bonesaw in Spider Man. Yeah, oh right, right, right. Bonesaw right. is ready. And Macho Man is in this. Is in Ready to Rumble. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I had never seen Ready to Rumble, and I watched it to prep for this episode. It's bad. It's like, look, I, you know, a lot of people worked really hard on this movie. And <laughs> I feel, you know, yeah. I don't want to take anything away yeah, from like yeah, the yeah. DP. But you know. I'll say this: Rose McGowan. Uh, Chef's Kiss, especially in the 90s. I'm a, a huge uh, fan of her. Sure. Uh, 
Oh yeah, she played. Oh yeah, we forgot to mention. Yeah, WCW Monday Nitro had the oh, Nitro right, yeah. Girls, which yeah. were cheerleaders, which WWF wouldn't have until the XFL. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sh- shout out to another dump episode. <laughs> oh, dude, there's so many. But yeah, this is, you know, this is a rough one. No matter what your movie tastes are, David Arquette's. I mean, it's. It's, it's not it's even tough. his best work. Yeah, like, I like tough. David Arquette. Yeah. I'm a fan. I love Scream. I love Scream. I, I like C yeah. Spot Run. I like fucking uh, I never saw Midnight uh, or Riding the Midnight Bullet Train or whatever the fuck that Stephen King one he was in. He's in all sorts of good stuff, but he's not good in this. No. Now because the film centers around WCW, the real WCW heads, mainly Bischoff and Russo, thought it would be a great idea to include David Arquette in the actual WCW storyline. Here's the breakdown. On April 12, 2000, Arquette was shown sitting ringside at a taping of WCW Thunder. It was announced that he was working on a wrestling film and had formed a friendship with Diamond Dallas Page. This announcement, made during a match between Page and his then-rival Jeff Jarrett, Arquette then jumps over the rail and gets into the ring to assist Page, taking a few good bumps in the process. Not the kind of not as good as the bumps he was probably taking backstage, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> waka right. waka. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean he definitely like he gets involved and he gets he's you know, taking bumps, yeah, dude, he's taking for bumps. sure. Yeah. yeah, according to Arquette, he thought that this would be the extent of his involvement. However. At the, you know, at the advice of, uh, not even the advice, the suggestion of Bischoff and Russo, he was brought back to Thunder on April 26, 2000, where, through a hodgepodge of mishaps and gimmicks, Arquette pinned Eric Bischoff during a tag team match between Arquette and Diamond Dallas Page and Bischoff and Jeff Jarrett. Because it was Arquette who performed the match-ending pin, he was named WCW's World Heavyweight Champion, which just happens to be the most important and coveted title that WCW had to offer. He's over towards Arquette. One, two, three. What? 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 The? Did, what? What is? Did David Arquette just? What's going on here? David Arquette won the world title. David Arquette won the world title. He can't believe it. crazy and he really didn't want to do it he he knew he did not want to do it at all he's like i this is probably not gonna and go dude well. instantly like i mean he's he's an actor and so he's like woo woo and holding the belt up and like in your face big booze yeah lots of mega booze yeah. ton like instantly tons of shits flying into the ring yep. which would you would think that that would happen a lot? It is very rare, especially on a televised event, for them to allow people to throw a lot of shit onto the ring. It's really rare, and I will tell you this as an aside. A few months ago, I saw this, witnessed this happen when Joey Janela uh, at GCW, not Game G- Changer Wrestling, yeah, Game Changer Wrestling, the, the premier independent wrestling. Exactly. In my opinion, yeah. So X Pac came out. He's been. He was. He all. He goes to the GCW shows. I think a lot of times he does commentary. He was teaming up with Joey Janela. Right at the end, 
Joey Janela turned around and kicked X-Pac. Dude, that was actually the the most the crowd went insane. It's called a pop. And th- they threw so much shit in the ring and they were going People were actually trying to fight Janela. It, it, it was the I love most. That. Yeah, yeah. It actually felt like what it must have felt like back in, in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, in the seventies, not even the eighties, the seventies, the sixties, where it's like I had a buddy get thrown so out like cartoon style by his shirt and pants out of an American Legion hall for dumping beer on a heel. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the security guards came in and literally threw him out. So it's, but it is rare that that happens because it's so. And even when it was, people were throwing stuff. There were other wrestlers in the audience who were fighting the people throwing stuff. Right. Like, so it was like, I, I mean, we were just, I was loving everything I was involved <laughs> sure. in. But I didn't, I wasn't throwing anything and I wasn't fighting anyone. I was just watching it. But you're right. It's so rare that that happens. And in it the was big happening. Leagues, yeah. Because yeah. that's like, imagine if like you're at a baseball game and everyone starts throwing shit onto the, yeah. like it wouldn't stand, you know? Um, but yeah, but Ric Flair, I guess, had pulled David Arquette aside before the match because he, you know, he was not only one of the biggest stars, but he was in on what was going to be happening. And he told him, he's like, "Look, no one's going to be happy about this." Yeah, he's like, "Wear the belt after the match, wear it, but take everyone out to the bar, and everything's on you." Yeah, because so David that's... Arquette brought the entire <laughs> roster, the entire crew, all the writers, everything out, and probably spent like a fifteen thousand dollar bar. Like time. here we go, because yeah, because everyone was pissed. <laughs> yeah. Now respecting pro wrestling tradition, Arquette knew that he couldn't just quit WCW. The belt had to be reclaimed in the ring. That's a big, big yeah. thing. You yeah, don't just definitely. get it as like a goof. You have to have it taken yeah. from you. After a series of pre-filmed vignettes and live appearances, Arquette lost the belt in a three-way cage match between himself, Diamond Dallas Page, and Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett won the belt, and Arquette would not return to the world of pro wrestling for nearly 20 years. His acting career would also never recover from his stint in WCW. His wrestling career ended because he won the belt in WCW, being an actor. His acting career ended. Well, not not totally ended, but sure, it was, sure. but he was never, here's the thing. And I want to talk a little bit about the documentary. I didn't know this, but his wife who actually produced the documentary, she's like this amazing journalist. Uh, she also looks exactly like his ex-wife, Courtney it's Cox. Pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but she mentions, you know, in like the early nineties, David Arquette was on the cover of vanity fairs, most promising Hollywood actors alongside Leonardo DiCaprio, Will Smith, Fucking Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, guys, Adrian Brody, Academy Award winning motherfuckers that have gone on to be the most important actors of the last fucking 50 years. And David Arquette was considered to be one of them. This stole that from him. Well, and that was shocking to me as well, because I mean, I just basically it's rare that I see anything pre 2000s movie wise. Right, he was in John's. He's like a male prostitute. It's right. like heavy shit. So so in my mind it's like, well, yeah, he was in that movie. He was in Scream. I I, I was like, oh, I assume he's just a giant actor. I don't I don't know modern movies so well, but the fact that he wasn't is crazy and that cage match though with Oh yeah yeah and it was a yeah it was a fucking cage so, match. That cage though, that same cage is the one they used in the, in the movie. movie, right? Yeah. So so they do the ready to rumble cage match. <laughs> it's so stupid. Because the movie went so well, we might as well uh It's really bad. The match is really bad. And and in the match, so the way it's set up is that there's three cages. There's the bottom cage, there's the second cage that was the hardcore hell or something like that. 
that had like garbage cans and tables and chairs. And then the third cage had the acoustic guitars, which was Jeff Jarrett's, Jeff Jarrett's thing. thing. He oh he was on GCW. Yeah. Yes, he was absolutely. Yeah. He fought, GCW is he fought where you go and uh, yeah. Well, when now, it's over. Yeah, well, now, if, but if, now if you're he's, old. If you're young, that's yes. the place to be. If you're old, that's the place but now, to be. But now, but, so he fought Effie at, at the Hammerstein. I love Effie. Effie's amazing, but. Openly gay wrestler. A huge, Effie, Effie's fantastic. But but Jeff Jarrett is now at WWE. Oh. The fact that Triple H and Jeff Jarrett might Talent be. poaching. Might be in control of WWE right now could actually be exciting who knows what Vince actually is still – what strings he's still pulling. Oh, but, sure. But Jeff Jarrett and Triple H are are sort of running it right now or or Like possibly. Vince McMahon might just become like the Dick Cheney of WWE <laughs> where he's like, I'm not the president. But I'm, but I'm the president. Kind of the president. <laughs> but, but the way that match goes so, – so, so Arquette comes out in the weird like red outfit with the cape. He barely wrestles in it because I think even this is only weeks later. Right. This is in May. So right, April twelfth is when he's introduced. April twenty sixth is when yeah. he wins. And by May seventh is is this match. Okay. So and it's basically whoever wins gets the belt. So so it's one of those stipulations where you don't have to be pinned to lose the belt. It's just whoever wins wins the belt. So Arquette's barely in the match. He immediately gets he's out in the beginning, but he go he the entire idea is that he's going to protect DDP and help DDP to win. Oh, That's the entire because, idea. Because one of the most uh you know decorated professional wrestlers like definitely needs the protection of David of Arquette. David Arquette. <laughs> but what it does actually happen is that Arquette gets up to the third cage and he turns on DDP and he actually helps Jeff Jarrett to win. So he turns heel and Jeff Jarrett. Well, he was already unintentionally. Yeah, the unintentionally heel. heel. Ever existed in wrestling. Jeff Jarrett with the, with his cat, with the slap nuts catchphrase at that time. Jeff Jarrett, who is broken, I think what they say in the, someone says it in the, in the rise and fall, like broken 9,000 guitars, 9, guitars and, yeah. and has never gotten over one. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> like you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, getting over. That's a big one. Yes. Uh, that, that's wrestling term for like, like this is your big moment where now you're one of the big guys. Yeah, and yeah. and it happens. It can happen so strangely. Whereas, or just having a successful thing happen. That's that's getting the over. The Rock was famously pushed to get over as a babyface. Everyone hated him. Die Rocky, right. die. Rocky, die, die, Rocky yeah. die. Once he turned heel, and then this is the Rock that we all know and love was when he exploded. Right. You know, Stone Cold's in the weird thing where it's like he's the what face. was his thing? The Hollywood, like oh yeah, Hollywood blondes. Oh, the Hollywood blondes was his first thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, he was with in Hillman. the Hollywood blondes. Yeah, with stunning Brian Steve Austin. <laughs> and and but it, he interesting was, that his move became the stunner. That's that's you didn't true. even think about that. Shit. I didn't I think about that. Right I'm seeing this happen live. My, folks. Yeah, but Stone Cold is the is the guy that got over as the face, but is sort of the. Heelish face, right? Well, He's, that that, yeah. that was the that changed era. around. And yeah, where, where people liked that. the bad guys, and it was because yeah, he changed well, that. well, Stone Cold was like a nasty son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. uh, he was beating up his boss, and yeah. everyone loved Genius. that. You know, so but yeah, so so Arquette losing the belt is in this terrible match, and and even when 
Jer- Jeff Jarrett wins the belt. It's, the, I mean, you can just hear the crowd. It's just death. I mean, it's just everyone's no just, cares. there's nothing. And that pay-per-view apparently, I think it was something like, a little like four thousand paid, and then oh. the rest was like, uh, you know, giveaways. Right, like oh, o- almost half. That's so bad. nobody cared. And if you watch some of those the Arquette matches just on Nitro or, or Thunder, they're on Thunder. You could th- at one point a spotlight goes through the crowd, and I was watching this leading up to this episode. When you see when they when the spotlight hits the balcony. Dude, it's empty. it's empty. It's empty. I went to Raw when I was a kid, and I sat way up in the nosebleeds, and some guy like ten rows behind me had a sign that said "The People's Nosebleed Seats," which <laughs> is amazing. fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but um, the so real quick though, I, I do want to talk about the documentary just because, like I said at the top of the episode, Arquette after this he never like because his acting career started going down, and he started like really getting shit on as the person that ruined WCW and kind of exposed the kayfabe and all that stuff like that really affected him. And he's dealt with serious depression and alcoholism and drug addiction and all this shit, like really due to those feelings. And this documentary follows him on his journey to like gain the respect of the wrestling world. And like, while it wasn't his final match, it culminates in this November of 2018 match against Deathmatch legend. Deathmatch is something that will never be a part of professional wrestling. That is the light tubes. That is fucking barbed wire bats. That is real blood. Not because you're cutting yourself to show color, which we explained what that was earlier. This is like, no, like you're actually bleeding. It's happening. This is like, you actually get punched in the face. You actually lose teeth. It might as well just be like, like, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to lose. Like, fuck. Like, if right. you're going to lose a deathmatch, like, and uh, you know it going in, like, that's got to be the worst feeling ever. Well, but he yeah. goes against Nick Gage. This wrestler, Nick Gage. And Nick Gage, uh, I mean, it's funny because when you watch You Cannot Kill David Arquette, it's following the super epic rise, and you're really rooting for him, but you don't really know anything about Nick Gage, and they don't really talk about him at all. When you watch Nick Gage's episode of Dark Side of the Ring, and it's the flip side, you see these two different worlds. David Arquette, Hollywood royalty, in all these big fucking blockbuster movies. Like, depressed because even though he has this huge house in the hills, beautiful wife, kids that love him, like, he just wants to gain the respect of wrestling. Then you have Nick Gage, who literally robbed a fucking bank in order to fucking feed his heroin habit, turned himself in after spending all the money he robbed in Atlantic City because he knew the jig was up, spent eight years in fucking prison, like, was living on the streets, literally wrestling for pill money, like, does not give a fucking shit if you live or die. He died. Died in a fucking match. Yep. He literally cut his armpit open so badly that he had to be airlifted from this outdoor match where he died on the plane or on the on the helicopter. Yeah. They revived him at the hospital. He was dead for like seven minutes. Like this is a gnarly son of a bitch to put David Arquette in the ring with. It's literally like putting a baby in the ring with a fucking wildebeest. It's it's completely insane. And I just have to say, I totally love the idea of you rob a bank and then you just like I'm gonna just do this until I run out of money and then I'll just go out and turn myself in that's what he says because he's like I knew the jig was up because my picture was everywhere like he even says in the dark yeah. side of the ring he's like yeah there was a camera right there and 
I looked right in that bitch. Yeah. Like, that's literally <laughs> yeah, his yeah, quote. Yeah. But, like, he knows he's up. So, but, like, you don't get in more trouble if you spend the money. So he's like, fuck it. So he goes to Atlantic like City it. and he spends like 14 grand in like five days and then turns himself, gets a whopper, smokes a blunt, drinks a 40, turns himself in, spends eight years in fucking prison. And now he's going to fight David Arquette. But what happens is during that match, David Arquette's throat gets cut by a, uh, a jagged light bulb, or I think it was a piece of barbed wire, something like so that. One of those, yeah. And it's really bad. And it's so, crazy. It's crazy. And Nick Gage, I love how Nick Gage's rendition is like, oh, he's a baby. Like, oh, it wasn't that bad. But when you watch the documentary, like Luke Perry of fucking, what was he on? Beverly Hills 90210? Yep. Or, yeah. Like, he's like one of David Arquette's best friends. He's like holding a towel to his neck as they drive him into the fucking emergency room. And it's crazy. But that gets David Arquette all this respect because it goes fucking viral. That match actually was called LA Confidential. It took place at the Hi-Hat yep. in Eagle Rock, California, a little bit away from where we're recording this right now. I've played shows there. I don't know if you've yep, been there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but they did wrestling there and David Arquette was literally almost murdered in the ring there. It's fucking crazy. It's completely crazy. And yes, yeah, so so Luke Perry's son, uh, obviously Luke Perry, RIP. Rest in peace. Uh his son Jungle Boy is on AW now, and, and Jungle Boy is who actually drove them to the hospital. So, according to Nick Gage, the what 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 ultimately happened because deathmatch wrestling is it's incredible. I love it so much. I love watching it. I love seeing it live, and I love, I love it. it. We'll it's probably throw insane. some on after literally yeah, like the second insane. I'm done recording. Insane. And in Nick Gage is you know he's the god of this shit you know, and so I'm more of a Necro Butcher fan. Necro Butcher's incredible. Again, like we're basically touching on eight million episodes throughout yeah, this episode. <laughs> Necro Butcher's incredible. Sign up to Patreon.com/slash Culture and yes. I'm posting shitloads of this stuff. Yeah, and Gage, you know, he, so but Gage said basically what hap what what did happen was that because there is a science to deathmatch wrestling, and he's like. What really happened was that Arquette, when he turned, that's when it went wrong. So you can see it in the documentary. He freaked out. He freaked out. He, he didn't know because he, he was going to allow himself to be cut, yeah. but he freaked out and he jerked in a way that Nick Gage wasn't ready for, and that yeah. punctured his And that's what neck. punctured. And yeah. Gage like, if you would have just stayed there, everything would have been fine. He's like, I know what I'm doing. And so when he turned, and you can see the blood spurting out. It's, it's crazy. Brutal, dude. But here's what I think. Arquette ultimately gained the respect of everyone because it, you can see it happen. You can see Arquette's. Yeah. You can see Arquette's face. And you can see that it's like, oh, fuck. You can even see Gage's face when it's happening. They're He's both like, like oh, they're shit. both like, yeah. what happened? So Arquette goes out of the ring, but then he comes back in the ring to finish. That's the, match. the best part. And that's what I think everybody, and even Gage yeah. is like, that was total respect like he came back to finish yeah because because he, he left the ring because he thought like okay i'm gonna die i need to go to the hospital but he's like wait the match isn't over and he lets himself get pinned and, and then that was the whole thing but then david arquette goes on to have like another big like another couple matches yeah. like that really jettisons him and like at the end of the movie he does get what he wanted and it's it's really really moving i can't recommend it enough but let's get back to it no more wcw with their ratings and profits consistently slipping, things only got worse for the WCW. Not only had they lost nearly all credibility due to Arquette's title win, but they had also lost the loyalty of their wrestlers and writers alike. <laughs> 
At the July 9th, 2000 pay-per-view event, Bash at the Beach, Hulk Hogan faced off against Jeff Jarrett. Dude, this is crazy. Dude, Bash at the Beach, by the way, weak. Like, that sounds like a <laughs> 60s, like, fucking, like, shitty movie you'd see in Times Square. But, uh, so, yeah, against Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett, under instruction from wrestling anti-fan Vince Russo and head writer for WCW, he laid down at the start of the match, essentially throwing the match to Hulk Hogan. Hogan, who at this point was completely fed up with the direction WCW was heading in, ranted on the microphone, breaking kayfabe and declaring the company's failure. That's why this company's in the shape it's in because of this. My God, this is real life. One, two, three. So yeah, he says, he's like, this is bullshit. And also, you're not supposed to cuss because it's primetime right, TV. Right. But all oh, this pay-per-view, so it's different. But still, you Either don't way, cuss, it though. just wasn't that, that especially you, you, that time. You just don't swear. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and so basically, like, it, 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 this also comes shortly after what's known as the poke of death or the poke of doom, where there's supposed to be a huge match with, like, Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan, and they kind of end it by just, like, he just yes. pokes him in the chest, and he falls down, yep. and this huge match that everyone's expecting between the two heads and NWO, and they realize, like, fuck it, like, god damn it, like, these guys aren't even taking us seriously. That's what fans are thinking. Yeah. Like, they're not taking us seriously. Like, like you, you guys are moving the storyline ahead without having to wrestle, and that's the problem. Now, fans truly felt betrayed and undermined by the backstage workings of WCW and quickly switched over to WWF. The now negative reputation, along with the severe drop in ratings, did not sit well with the new owners of TBS. TBS was owned by Time Warner, and Time Warner and AOL, a dump, merged. The new executives in charge of programming had little interest in pumping money into a product they not only didn't understand, but also didn't see as profitable. In 2001, the decision was made to cancel WCW programming, and the brand and its assets were sold to the WWF. The announcement and the per of the purchase was made through a series of live events involving an organization known, a fake organization, by the way, known as the Alliance, which aimed to overthrow Vince McMahon and WWF. This is like NWO. The, right. the Alliance was Shane McMahon and Stephanie McMahon yep. and like WCW folk that were now under the contract of WWF. It's a whole big ruse to show that they're taking over. Uh, that aimed to overthrow Vince McMahon and WWF. But the Alliance loses the battle, and WCW officially dissolves into WWF, which, after a dumpable legal battle of its own, becomes the WWE. I uh, you know, that was a whole lot. So, what does it all mean? I guess it means that in entertainment, fans are everything. While pro wrestling and showbiz in general share a singular goal to make a profit, it is the fans that line the pockets of the bigwigs and performers. Wrestling fans have always been pigeonholed as rednecks, white trash, or low IQ bumpkins, but they are not. The truth is, most wrestling, most wrestling fans will tell you exactly what is going on behind the scenes, but we're fine with that. What we are not fine with is the blatant use of cheap gimmicks that do nothing to improve the product and do everything to water down the intricate illusion that is professional wrestling. David Arquette was a victim of his own love and respect for the sport, and he should not have been the one to blame for the demise of WCW. And furthermore, WCW should not have been the nail in the coffin of Arquette's career. The year 2000 was a time of change in culture class and was the last chance to clean the slate of the 1990s. David Arquette winning the WCW title was just a microcosm of that transition. And also, it's real to me, damn it!
<laughs> it's real to me. It's real to me. It's damn real it. to me. Damn. All right, Mike, where do we find Noise Extra? NoiseExtra.com and on all the same podcast, uh, whatever you call it, that this is on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, those, all those things. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Noise Extra where my wife and I do a weekly wrestling podcast called Noise Rumble that's every oh. Friday and we talk about the week the week in wrestling as well as what we've seen live which is like we said GCW PWG we go to all the local live shows we saw AEW when it was at the Forum fantastic as well as a podcast about Trash movies, generally eighties, seventies, porn. Oh, absolutely porn. <laughs> we, we've all we we we've discussed doing a separate porn podcast. Uh, porn cast, but, but yes, exactly. So uh, we we love all that stuff. So that's over on our Patreon, patreoncom slash extra. But yes, exactly. If you're interested in uh, the the gamut of insane sounds from noise, experimental, we've we have interviewed uh, uh, porn legends as well so head on over there to check that out but this was so fun i like oh, you know what and i don't want to get too yep. into it now because you'll have to listen to yep. to you know you have to find out uh through through mike's wrestling podcast uh, noise rumble yep. but not since wcw has there been a competitor for wwf but now we have AEW. AEW. and for the first time since the 1990s there actually is an alternative to wwf which well, is pretty or to wwe which is pretty amazing well and and actually you said you know about deathmatch wrestling you know nick gage was actually on AEW and the current AEW, against jericho against jericho the biggest star or one of the biggest stars of wcw and all comes full circle baby the current aw champion is john moxley who did death matches with Nick Gage in backyard. Almost had his tongue cut out with a pizza cup. He, and he was at that match that Nick Gage died in. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah, he yeah. finished the match because cause he went out to finish the How match. How do you follow someone dying? You know exactly. I mean? So 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 that's the crazy thing is someone like Moxley is the AW champion who was doing backyard and farmhouse wrestling with, with – Exactly, with Nick Gage. So – Check it out. I mean, honestly, I could just. I'm sad that this is over. I could just. We could just keep going for hours. <laughs> well, and maybe you, we'll maybe we'll do this again. Well, we're we're doing this for hours, just right. not on the mic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, <laughs> for you folks at home that don't want it to end either, it doesn't have to. You can subscribe to Patreon.com/slash/CultureDumps for all sorts of exclusive side series, research, supplementary materials, tons of videos of this shit. I'm gonna go crazy posting hardcore wrestling because I just can't get enough, and I think you shouldn't be able to get enough either. Uh, follow us on Instagram at culture dumps make sure you send us your suggestions or comments on dumps or for dumps at culture dumps at gmail.com i'm ryan lichten i've been joined today by mike Connolly. keep on dumping